We are continuing our sermon series uh, called The Big Story. We are going through the book of Ephesians. And today's message is called The New Human. That might seem like kind of a a strange title, uh, but I do think that newness, new life, is something we talk about often as Christians, but I think it's something we talk about often in life. How do you become a new person? Is it enough to just want to change? Uh, Has there ever been something in your life that you thought, this is no good, I really need to change this? Were you able to do it? Were you able to do it by sheer willpower? I want to tell you a story uh, that I heard. Uh, This comes from the Freakonomics podcast. They tell the story about a Kansas City journalist. His name was Tony Belandrin. And Tony Belandrin had a gambling problem. Uh, He he got so uh, addicted to gambling that sometimes he would spend all night at casinos and he would just not even go home, but he would just, you know, go straight from the casino to work. And it got so bad that uh, he started to be in debt. He was starting to take out large loans from his friends. He was starting to have to budget his money, uh, seeing that he had lost so much money due to gambling. Uh, that he was like, I don't even know if I'm going to have enough money to eat. So Tony Belantrin thought to himself, this is a big problem. I really need to change this. So what he decided to do was he uh, registered himself to something. Uh, so there's this, this idea that uh, every state has this, actually, where they put you on a list for people who don't want to gamble anymore. So what happened one, one day in 2009, Tony Belantrin uh, was at a riverboat casino. And he was playing a game. I guess it was some kind of poker variant that involves like seven cards. But he hit a, uh, a straight flush. I don't know if you guys know what a straight flush is for those of you guys who, who uh, know poker or cards. Basically, a straight flush means that you get the cards in order. Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, like that. Um, but, but also, this, this, it's all the same suit. Like it's all like a club or a heart or something like that. It's incredibly rare. And when Tony Belandrin hit this, you would think that he would be really happy because uh, a $5 bet uh, is what he bet on this game, uh, that he was going to win $3,750, almost $4,000, right, from $5, right? He hit the jackpot. But Tony Belandrin turned white when he hit this. And he was like, he had a pit in his stomach. He was like, oh, my gosh, I'm in so much trouble. Because the, the registry that he put himself on was to prevent him from gambling. And so he was not supposed to go to any casino. He thought, this is such a big problem that I'm going to put myself on this registry. It's a self-exclusion ban that if he's ever found at a casino, he can be fined. And if you do it enough times, you can actually be put in jail. He did this to himself, right? Because he wanted to change that badly. And the problem is, is that, he, well, he found a loophole. He found that um, they don't check ID, like, at the door. Like, they don't check you against, like, any kind of registry when you walk in. Uh, so if he won a little bit of money, he was okay. But when you win a large amount of money because of, like, tax stuff, they have to check your ID. And then they check the name against the registry. And the messed up thing is uh, Tony Belandrin had to pay a fine to the casino, and they took his $4,000, right? Which is messed up, right? It's like, it's a good deal for the casinos, right? But a bad deal for the guy. But that's how desperately Tony wanted to change. But he couldn't. Do you ever, do, do you relate to this story in any way? Is there ever something that you're just like, 
oh my gosh, it would see, be so good if I could change this about myself. I don't know. Maybe you're like, I need to exercise, you know? Like, we have a lot of heart disease in my family, or, you know, I don't want to die young. You know, I, I feel like these chest pains coming on. I need to start changing the way I eat. I need to change my diet. And I know there's so many people who try this and fail, right? Why? Or you're thinking like, oh, you know what? I really need to kick up my game in school. You know, I really need to study. This is why I'm here. You know, this is why I'm paying hundreds of thousands of dollars to the University of Michigan, you know, to get this world-class education. I should go to class or I should study. (laughs) Some of you guys are laughing, but some of you are laughing not at other people, (laughs) right? And and for many of us, we get these habits, right? We get these things that we want to change. I want to study. I want to do better. I want to uh, be a better person. I want to be more forgiving. I want to be more loving. I want to share the gospel with my friends. But we can't. We cannot. Why? Why? I think what, what we see in Scripture is because there needs to be a fundamental change in the kind of human we are. Now, I want to tell you, before we talk about the way that I think we are supposed to change, as we will see in Ephesians chapter 4, but I want to tell you how we've tried to change. So for a lot of Christians, uh, we try to uh, uh, change as, as people, and we think that it's just a change in your belief. Basically, maybe you've heard something like this. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you will become a new creation, right? The, the, the old has gone, the new has come. You will be a new person. So if you believe in Jesus, then change in your life will happen automatically. It's not a real word. <laughs> I kind of like it, right? This idea that you think it's automatic, but it's also kind of magic. I don't understand how change is going to happen. It's just going to happen, right? And this is, I think, uh, one of the, uh, I, I, I want to be honest, I think it's a mistake. But I think it's a mistake that a lot of us believe. So, brothers and sisters, I mean, let me ask you, do you see evidence of this, that just believing in Jesus changes your life, makes you a better person, makes you a more forgiving person, makes you a more loving person, makes you a more generous person, changes your habits overnight? Do you see any evidence of this? Now, Maybe for some people, like you accept Jesus into your life, you become a Christian, and you get like a little jolt. You're like, ah, I'm going to be a new person. Oh my gosh, like I feel the love of Christ. This is great, right? I I, want to be different. And maybe it changes some things for a little bit. But this is the thing that we find. There is research. There's a Christian research organization called the Barna Group. And they said that if you take so-called born-again Christians, not just people who just attend church, but they say that I made a decision to follow Jesus Christ. I believe in the gospel, right? By all definitions, right? If this is true, just believing should change their lives. And what the Barna Group found is if you take uh, their habits of life, not what they say they believe, but what they actually do, right? Do they cheat on their taxes? Do they uh, commit adultery outside of marriage, right? Are they, uh, the way they talk, the way they act, the, the way they actually live their lives. If you take that information and you don't know whether or not they're a Christian or not, 
and you, you mix, you put those two sets of data next to each other, they're virtually identical. Virtually identical. You can't tell the difference between, between a so-called born-again Christian by the way they live versus anyone else. Yikes, right? There's something wrong, brothers and sisters. And I think this kind of thinking, that change is going to happen automatically, is not helping us out, right? We can do better. We must do better. This is the central thesis. If you don't believe me, then you're not going to see any reason to change. But what the Bible tells us is that this is not just a tiny change. It's not a tiny tweak. You don't just decide to yourself, you know what, by my willpower, I'm going to change. It doesn't work. That's the New Year's resolution thinking, right? You guys ever have a New Year's resolution? You're like, I'm going to, you know, eat better this year. I'm going to exercise. I'm going to be kinder to people. I'm going to, you know, study more, whatever it is, right? And just by your willpower, it so often doesn't work. And the reason why it doesn't work is because we are human, right? I hope I didn't blow anyone's mind right now. You know that. You're a human being, and we have certain tendencies. And this is why. The way it talks in scripture, it talks about being, becoming a new man. Well, the word in, in Greek is man, but we know that it's just talking about a human, becoming a new kind of human. And so we're going to talk about today what that means and maybe a little bit how we can do that. We're not going to be able to, I, I, you know, I don't want to overpromise here, brothers and sisters. I'm not going to say that by the end of this message that you're going to change your life. But hopefully you'll understand a little bit what the problem is and a little bit how we go about the solution. Yeah? So aren't you excited? Let's become new people. Amen. <laughs> let's do this thing. So let's dive right in. Verse 17. So it says, now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk. And that's a word that, that uh, uh, Paul likes to use. It comes up several times in Ephesians. The word walk doesn't literally mean to walk, but it's, it's a, a metaphorical use of that word that means the way that you live, right? So uh, now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. So brothers and sisters, here's clue number one of one of the problems that we have, right? So Paul is saying that we should not live as the Gentiles, as the non-Jewish people, as the non-Christians live, right? But there's a way that they live, and it's in the futility of their minds. There's a way of thinking. There's a way of being. There's an automatic way that happens from your mind, and this is the problem. But it's a futile way to live. It's an automatic way to live. It's the way that you're probably going to want to live, but it's not working. It's futile, right? So let's go on. Verse 18. Um, they are uh, darkened in their understanding. So here we go again. Our understanding, right? Your mind. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. So let's kind of unpack this a little bit. So remember, we have been talking about sin. I've been trying to encourage you not to just think about sin as doing bad things. Oh, you, you shouldn't have done that. That was naughty, right? Because of that, you're going to hell. That's true. <laughs> but the way that Paul talks about sin is about deadness. 
There's consequences to your sin. It separates you from the life of God. What is the life of God? Ultimate life. He's the source of all life, right? He's the source of all life. So if you are separated from the life of God, then you don't have life. Not really. And there's so many people who are deadened. The way of sin is a way of deadness. That's the problem, right? It's not just that you are doing these things and you're doing them because, uh, you know, like, like maybe you want to do them. They're kind of fun, right? And this is the thing. You feel a little thrill. Like, oh, I did that thing. Oh, I shouldn't do it. Yeah. Or, oh, it's fun. It's pleasurable. It's enjoyable, right? And so usually the, the, the like kind of basis level that we talk about sin, we're like, okay, I know it's fun, but don't do it because God will punish you, right? And that's usually the level that we approach it. Now, there's a problem with that. If it's something you want to do, then you don't want to stop, Right? But is there another level to this sin that once the feelings wear off, there are consequences to your sin? And is maybe one of the consequences that you are not living the full life you are supposed to have in God? Why? Because you're doing something else, right? You're living a different way. And even in that way of living, Our understanding is darkened. You think it's life, and it's not. You think it's thrilling, and it's not. You think it's fun, and okay, maybe it is just for a little bit, but it's not giving you what you really want. So one of the things that we talk about is that if the way of life that we have been living is so great, then why aren't we happy? Why aren't we fulfilled? Why don't we have meaning, right? So some of the things that we're talking about are not just going and doing bad things. Yes, it does cover that. But it's a whole system. It's a whole way of living that we are talking about. This maybe doesn't make sense right now, but but hang on there, brothers and sisters. Um, Hopefully this will make sense, what we're trying to get at. Um, But I do want to point out one more thing. So we're missing something. We're missing something in our understanding. We're ignorant about something that God wants to reveal to us. But also there's this idea that we have this hardness of heart. You know what that means? It means we're stubborn. We don't want to change and we can't change. Right? Don't you think that's true? <laughs> we already talked about how hard change is. We talked about uh, this guy, Tony Belandrin, who's desperately wanted to stop gambling because it was ruining his life. And he was like, I'm going to sign myself up for something that is going to severely fine me or put me in jail. And he still did it anyways. It's so crazy. We are so stubborn. We are so hard of hearts, right? Now, we're going to start getting to the actual thing, the actual problem, what it means to be the old kind of human, the normal human, and what it means to be a new human, okay? So it says they have become callous, right, which means that they cannot feel pain anymore, right? Now, brothers and sisters, it's very interesting because that's one of the things for human beings that we want. We don't want to feel pain, right? How many of you <laughs> came to church this morning and you're like, I want to feel some pain, right? <laughs> like, mm, I want to feel really uncomfortable. Most of us, we don't want that. That's not our default setting. But you, you probably know this, that the inability to feel pain is a serious medical condition, right? Pain is instructive. If you didn't feel pain, you literally wouldn't be able to walk, 
Right? Do you remember when you were a kid when you couldn't walk? You guys remember that? You'd, you'd like fall all over the place? Ask your parents. They probably have some hilarious videos of you falling on your face, right? And part of the reason why is because spatially, we don't know, like, like right, like your eyes and the, the, the space. You're trying to figure it out, right? And so every once in a while, you'll do this. You'll misjudge something. You're like, I think I can clear this pew right here. And you'll, oh, ah, it hurts, right? It hurts pain. Why, God, why? Why would you do this to me? Why should I feel pain? Now, this is the thing. If I didn't feel pain, I wouldn't be able to walk. I'd be running into stuff all the time. But very interestingly and very importantly, when I feel that pain, when I stub my toe, my mind is like, yeah, let's not do that again, right? That's where the pew is, okay? So next time, we're going to come up a little bit short, right? Pain teaches you. Pain is important, right? But for many of us, to not feel pain anymore is a problem. To be desensitized is a problem. There are many people who our religion, our Christianity, is not about actual life change. It's about not feeling bad anymore because we don't want to feel pain. So we go to church and we want people to tell us Jesus forgives us, right? We want people to tell us that we have this thing called grace, Right, which is true, right? But that's all we want. We don't actually want to change our lives. We just don't want to be in pain anymore, right? And so when we get that little bit of, of therapy or that little bit of medicine, oh, Jesus loves me. Mm, good. Okay, now I'm going to go out and just do what I've always been doing. So oftentimes, the pain you feel, your conscience, by the way, right? When you hurt somebody, when you're not doing things the way that you're supposed to, sometimes that can be instructive. Sometimes that can be an indication. Something needs to change. When we get to the point when we stop feeling bad about stuff, right? Like, uh, have you ever seen people like, like say to someone like, how do you sleep at night? Yeah, I think I used the example a few weeks ago. Uh, of the, the person who was like upcharging people thousands of dollars on their cancer meds. You guys remember this? And this dude stands in front of Congress with this big smile on his face, right? He's like, capitalism, what are you going to do, right? I think it's good. I think it's actually good. And everyone's like, oh my gosh, I want to hit you in your face, right? I want to hit you in that smug little smile, right? You know, oh my gosh, it's so infuriating. You know, and, and you know, maybe a congressman looks this guy in the eye, sir, how do you sleep at night? He's like, pretty well. I, I, I sleep on a bed of money. It's very comfortable. Yeah. Could it be that that man just doesn't have a conscience anymore? He sinned so much, right, that he's gotten to the point where he just doesn't feel it, right? And that's a problem, right? So it says they have become callous. They don't feel pain anymore and have given themselves up to sensuality, uh, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Now, this is important, so we're going to slow down, and we're going to uh, just go a little bit into the Greek, okay? This word uh, for sensuality is the Greek word aselgeia, and aselgeia is the idea of living with completely no restraint. So it, it often gets translated as licentiousness or wantonness, right? That we might think of it as being someone being completely corrupt, But the actual meaning of the word means you have no restraints. Zero. You do whatever you want, whenever you want to do it. Right? So you see something over there, and you're like, huh, 
money. I think I'm going to take it. Right? You, you see someone and you, you have like, you know, some kind of physical longing for them. And you're like, I think I'm going to have them. And, and there's nothing that's like, hey, you know what? Maybe I shouldn't do this. Maybe this isn't the right thing. It's the idea that you have zero things holding you back. No law. No sense of morality. You just do it. Right? And, and so it, it, it follows up by saying greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Now, does that make sense? Right? It's explaining what a selgeya is. You are greedy to practice every kind of impurity and every kind of anything. So this is the thing, brothers and sisters. Can you imagine the kind of life where you have to follow your desire no matter what? You're a journalist who thinks, I don't want to gamble anymore. It's ruining my life. But they can't help it. Right? They just have to do it. Has this ever been you? Have you ever experienced a selgeya when it comes to your time? When it comes to, oh, I don't know, maybe something like a cell phone? Have you ever felt like, I must and I have to be on this thing? Now, brothers and sisters, I, I, I know that some of this stuff is going to sound kind of strange. right? But there's this idea that if I want to do something, I'm going to do it. I was going to do this experiment, but I thought it would be a little heavy-handed. <laughs> I thought maybe people might take this the wrong way. I was going to challenge you um, for people, because uh, I know some people struggle with this, like going on their cell phone, you know, like, like during times when you shouldn't. You know? and, and I didn't want to be heavy-handed about, like, don't go on your cell phone during the sermon. But for some of us, like, we literally can't help it. And I was going to ask you, I was going to challenge you. I was going to say, can you try not to be on your cell phone this entire service? Just, just try. Just try really hard. And let's see how it goes. Right? A selgeya is the idea that you can't. You can't. You can't stop yourself. There are certain things. It just kicks into gear. Right? Have you ever um, like, uh, found yourself like, on a binge you guys know, like, like, you're watching Netflix or YouTube, and you literally can't stop yourself. You're on Facebook, and you just keep going and going and going and going. And before you know it, you're like, oh, it's 3 p.m.? What happened to the last three hours? What happened? Right? Now, this is the crazy thing, brothers and sisters. Did you know that technology is actually designed for this? It's designed for this. They don't want you to make choices anymore. They want you to just keep watching. Right, so uh, I was watching this. Uh, uh, this brother, Young Lee, told me about this uh, show on Netflix called Abstract. It's a show where they go over like design of things, and they um, were going over the design of Instagram and some of these like like social media things. And there's a guy who uh, invented something. He thought he was just designing something more elegant, and he confessed. He was like, "I think I've wasted hundreds of millions of people's hours." Right, and he invented something very simple. It's called infinite scroll. You guys know what infinite scroll is? Do you remember back in the day with Google or any kind of web page that you, you would like, you know, Google something like Living Grace Ministry, and then it would pop up the top 20 results, right? Page one. And then you would have to click on something to go to page two. They've changed that now, right? And so now for virtually any sort of like streaming site or social media, 
there's no bottom anymore, right? So can you imagine that you're drinking a glass of wine, right? And you drink that glass of wine, and you get to the bottom, you're like, oh, no more wine. Now you have to make a decision. Do I want another glass of wine, right? And so you're like, yeah, or you're like, no, right? But you make a decision, right? Now there's no more decision being made. Right? It used to be you got to the bottom of that page and you're like, do I want to keep clicking? Do I want to go to page two? And this guy was like, the more seamless we can make the, the experience where people don't have to click, right? But they can just kind of like just be there and just stay in the experience. That's better. That's better design. But he's like, I probably, you know, he's like, I regret it. I've wasted hundreds of millions of people's hours because now they don't have to make that decision anymore. You just... This could go on and on, right? Now, I, so, so I, I actually appreciate, just as an aside, um, this won't help if you have a lot of Instagram followers, but I think Instagram is actually slightly better than Facebook. Um, so Facebook, um, it's so messed up. They'll like, give you information, but it's not in any order. Have you noticed that? They'll give you posts, and the post could be from two weeks ago. It could be what happened five seconds ago. It could be something that happened two years ago. You don't know what's going to happen. It's just a random slot machine of social experiences. What's going to happen next? I don't know. What's the next post going to be? And there's no bottom. You could literally keep scrolling Facebook forever, and there is no bottom by design. Instagram, at least, that, that they have this very helpful thing that you scroll down, and you're like, oh, you're lost. You're looking at pictures. Oh, that's nice. Like... Like, and then it's like, you're all caught up. You're like, oh, I'm all caught up. So now if I keep scrolling, I'm going to see old posts, right? So Instagram is a little bit better than that. But brothers and sisters, there is this idea that for many of us, we don't see a problem with that. Hey, just do what you want whenever you want to, right? And so this comes not just with the idea of technology. Technology has done that to us. If there is a new technology, you must have it. You must get it, right? This also happens in the idea of money, right? Now, so for most Americans, almost uh, most Americans say they need 20% more than they currently have. It doesn't matter if you're rich or you're poor. That number is just kind of a, a fixture, right? Why? Because basically people are always looking at their lives and they're saying, I don't have enough. I need more to live. There are people who look at America and they're like, you guys are crazy. Because we're sitting here, and we're poor, and we're starving, and we're hungry, and we're like, you know what I could use? I could just use just one more car. I already have two, but I just really could just use one more car. I need that one more car. You, you, you know what I need is, is I just need a slightly bigger house. I know there's three people who live in this house, you know, and so we have three bedrooms, but I just need four bedrooms, okay? If I just had four bedrooms, I, I need like a man cave, right? I need an office, right? And people are looking at us and they're like, you guys are crazy, right? But this idea where we think like, okay, well, whatever money you have, you must spend it. If you have a certain amount of money, you buy the best house possible, given your budget, right? So... You know, we make however much money. Let, let's figure out what kind of house we can have. Let's go for the top house, right? And this is how most of us live. In fact, brothers and sisters, you probably have noticed when somebody doesn't live this way, it's shocking, isn't it? There's this uh, a football player, Daryl Green, who's an all-star uh, cornerback for the uh, Washington Redskins. He's a devout Christian. And Daryl Green 
for 10 years, rolled up into Redskins Park every day in a beat-up old Volkswagen Beetle. Not one of those cool Volkswagen Beetles, like one from the 1980s. Uh, and people noticed, because everyone else, every like literally everyone else, every other Redskin, every other like coach, right? They roll up in their Mercedes, right? They roll up in these sports cars, right? And they're like, why wouldn't you? We can afford it, right? We must. We're just being good capitalists, good consumers, right? And then when Daryl Green rolls up in his Volkswagen Bug, people are like, what? Daryl, what the heck are you doing, man? He's like, I really don't care about what kind of car I drive. I'd rather spend my money elsewhere. Dude, like seriously, what is wrong with you? Right? A Selgea, we must. We must live with no restraints. Right? It's one of the things that I think for a lot of us, um, you know, in, in America, I sometimes joke around uh, that uh, I think that on the flag, like underneath the flag, it should say, don't tell me what to do. Right? We hate restraints. We hate people telling us what we can't do. And we want to make money. Why? Because we don't want to have restraints. Hey, if I want to go to Cancun, I want to be able to go to Cancun. Right? If I want to be able to buy a certain kind of house, I want to be able to buy that kind of house. Right? If I want a certain kind of car, I want to be able to buy a certain kind of car. I don't want to live with any restraints. But brothers and sisters, have we stopped to ask the question, should we? Is it actually good to live this way, right? And so, brothers and sisters, um, you know, uh, going to the idea of living in a different kind of way, so it says that is not the way you learn Christ, right? Christ was about what? What was Christ about? He was about love. He was about sacrifice, right? He wasn't about trying to get as much as he could in this lifetime. He didn't live that way. Guys, I'm the son of God. I'm going to live it up. I'm going to live like a king. He didn't live that way. He lived to serve others. And we have been trying to convince you that that is the best way to live. Do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus lived a good life? Do you want to live like Jesus? And so I'm not going to go over all the stuff with the big story, but we've been trying to convince you this entire sermon series, right? It's all been about this. Spoiler alert. It's been about living a life of love for other people is the best way to live. To not just live for yourself, but to live for the flourishing of all people. That's the best way to live. You will live a life of meaning. You will live a life of joy. You won't be lonely, right? You will be connected. It's not an easy life. It's not always a fun life, but it's a good life. But brothers and sisters, this is the case we're trying to make. That if you live in the normal way, as a normal human being, it's almost impossible to live that way. Why? Because you don't feel like it. Because you are driven by your desires. This is what it's saying. That is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught at him as the, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self. That word self is the word man. To put off your old human, Right? Like, like a cloak that we have been wearing and we've just been assuming this is the way we're supposed to live. If I have a desire, I must meet it. If I want to do something, I have to do it, right? This is just the way it is, right? I'm just going to scratch that itch. I'm going to do what I can because I can. And we think that is good. 
But for many of us, I mean, America does it better than anyone. We have a desire. We go out and get it. I want that newest toy. I want that newest phone. I want that newest whatever. I want a bigger house. I want a better car. All of this stuff. And we are no happier. Brothers and sisters, literally, we are no happier. It's a lie that we have been sold. And we swallow it hook, line, and sinker because it makes you feel good for a little bit. And then it fades. It always does. It is not giving you the life that you want. But this idea, the, the Buddhists say, they have this saying that all the things you want in life, it's like bait on a fish hook. And, and you think like, oh, I want it. It smells good. But what you forget is that there's a hook in it. It hooks you. Right? You're going to want more. right? And that hook compels you, that desire, that wants I must have it. And so it says that we're supposed to put off that old way of doing things, which belongs to your former manner of life, and it's corrupt through, brothers and sisters, can you say this word with me? Double D, deceitful desires. All right, say it one more time. Deceitful desires. This is what all desire is. It's deceitful. You want something because you think it's going to deliver something. You think it's going to make you happy. You think you have to. Well, if I don't scratch this itch, then what's going to happen? You know what's going to happen? Like, it's going to get uncomfortable for a while. But you know what's going to happen? If you wait even longer, itch goes away. It just does. But that's not what your mind is telling you. I have to scratch the itch. Ah, 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 right? This is the thing. Every time you scratch an itch, what happens? Now you are building a habit of scratching an itch. Next itch that comes, you're going to have to scratch that too, right? And probably, weird thing, I don't know how this works, but you get itchier. The more you scratch itches, the, the itchier you get. Have you ever found that? The more we meet these desires, we, we start going after the bait, and the hook is in you, and you got to keep doing it. You can't stop, right? And, and so... It says that we are supposed to put off this former manner of life. The former manner of life is a life in which you are compelled. You feel like you have to follow your desires. You have no choice. You are not free, right? You just have to do it. But there's a different way of life, right? It says to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Now think about that for a second. Why doesn't it just say renewed in your mind? Why is it the spirit of your mind? Now, anyone who has <laughs> been to LGM for a while, what do spirits do? Think of the word, the, the, the uh, song Oceans. Spirit, lead me. Spirits lead, right? Spirits lead. There is a part of your mind that leads you, that makes decisions, that makes choices, right? And this is the problem. That is not renewed. That is on the hook with the old self. It must follow those things. So that's why you're so bad at willpower, right? You're like, I got to eat the ice cream. Oh, I'm going to eat it. I'm just, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to do it. I have to. I have to, right? Now, some of you guys are laughing, but isn't it that the way it is, right? You know, if you really had a choice, if you really were free, you could be like, Ice cream is bad. I want to be healthy. I want to live a long life. I don't want the excess pounds. And you're like, I will not do it. It's rational. We're not rational, right? 
We're living according to our desires in our spirits, the spirit of your will, that part of, the spirit of your mind, right? That part of your will that is able to choose freely is captive. It's not free, right? And so we want to be renewed in that and to put on the new self, a new kind of human created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and Holiness, right? Now, those are big words, right? But the word righteousness simply means rightness. It's the way things are supposed to be, the way that you are supposed to be as a human being. And holiness means being set apart. We'll cover holiness more in a couple weeks. But the idea that you were created to be like God. You know who was the most like God, as far as I'm concerned? Jesus. You were created to be like Jesus, to live a life like Jesus. That's the blueprint. But the way you're going to do that is to put off the old self and to put on the new self. What is the new self? The new self is the person who actually has free choices. You can actually choose to love people. So remember, I, you know, we've been talking about all this stuff, like all these good things that you could be doing. You could be preaching the gospel. You could be feeding the poor, right? You could be forgiving people. You could be this generous person. You could be talking to strangers at church that you don't know. But why don't we do any of those things? Because we don't feel like it. We don't feel like it. Deceitful desires. Oh, don't do that. Let's look at our phone. Right? And your phone is perfectly designed to distract you. Your phone is perfectly designed to hook you. And like, huh, now I don't need to talk to strangers. <laughs> right? Now I don't need to do any of this stuff. Right? So brothers and sisters, uh, it, it, it's going to be a longer process to figure out how to do this. But literally, the way it talks about this in the Bible is you put off that old self, that self that is dominated by desire. And you put on a new kind of self that is able now to do the will of God. That's what this is about, right? All of this freedom is not just so you can indulge in your sinful nature, as it says in the Bible. This freedom is so you can do the will of God. Those things that are good and worthy, and if you actually did them, you'd feel joy. You'd feel connected to meaning and to God. And you would come alive, if you could actually do them. So we have to learn how to do them. I want to give you just one small thing, one small thing. And we'll talk more in the coming weeks. But I've preached many messages about putting on your phone, putting down your phone. Has anyone heard an LGM message about me saying how bad the phone is, how we get addicted to it, how it's this distraction device, how we use it to sort of like uh, cover up like all of the social awkwardness now? Right, And we don't know how to be bored anymore, how actually being bored is actually really good because then you learn how to be content, you learn how to be still, how stillness is so important. You guys ever hear a message like that? Maybe some of you have. Now, don't raise your hand for this because I don't want to shame you, right? But just think, how has your cell phone usage changed since I preached those messages? Did it change at all? At all? Like even a little bit? No? Why? Aren't you convinced? Did I make a compelling argument? It's better to not be on your phone all the time, to not be on the hook with this thing. You know, maybe you're like, yeah, but this is the thing. There's still hooks in you. That's how these things work. I was reading this article about cell phone addiction. And, you know, 
it's one of those things where I, I was reading it to preach something to you guys, but I thought it was very interesting. I just want to read you for you guys real quick um, just a couple of these symptoms uh, of <laughs> withdrawal symptoms of uh, cell phone addiction. A feeling of dread, anxiety, or panic if you leave your smartphone at home. Uncomfortable laughter. <laughs> you ever feel that? But, oh, oh my gosh, I don't have my phone, right? You're like, oh no. The battery runs down or the operating system crashes. Or do you feel phantom vibrations? You think your phone has vibrated, but, but when you check, there are no new messages or updates. There are times, brothers and sisters, my phone is not in my pocket, and I swear something vibrated. I swear. I'm like, dude, I have a new message. I don't even have my phone in my pocket. Brothers and sisters, what is this? Right? I mean, this is the thing. I, I, I have been sharing with you, and I just confess, I'm no better than you. I have these hooks too. It is not about a matter of will. It's a matter of what kind of human we are and what we have given ourselves over to. We've done it unwittingly, but we've done it nonetheless. We're told that your smartphone is supposed to make you happy. It's supposed to make life better. And I'm not telling you not to use your smartphone, okay? I'm going to still use my phone if that's okay. Right, But what I'm saying is the hooks that it has in you. Could we do something to get rid of some of those hooks? Right? Could you actually learn to put down your phone and to not use it as much and actually see that as a good? Most of us, we don't see it as anything wrong. Well, like, Pastor Steve, what's wrong with that? I'm just using my phone. I'm not killing anyone. I'm not taking any illicit drugs, right? But the problem is, is that your mind is being trained to follow what it wants. Your your cell phone chirps, and there's something within you that has been conditioned. I use the word discipled. You have been discipled. I must answer my phone, right? I I, I, I swear, I'm being honest. I stopped playing uh, cell phone games that force me to log in every day. I used to play a lot of these games. I'm like, oh, they're free. This is great. It's not free, brothers and sisters. You know, what you're paying with is your attention, with your habits, right? And I would recommend, I mean, you know, maybe you're like, but Pastor Steve, I really like that game. It's fun. I want to challenge you to do something. Today or tomorrow, if you you guys not do your daily quest in whatever game you're playing, right? Don't do it today. See what happens. I'm serious. Don't do it today, right? Don't do it for a week. Delete it. And next week when you're like, Clash of Clans, I need Clash of Clans, right? <laughs> like, you can make a decision, right? You can make a decision. But are we, we've lost this Christian concept. It's a very simple Christian concept. It's called ascetic practice, which is literally this. Don't do the, some of these things. Don't do it. Learn how to not do it, right? Learn how to put these things aside. And so I just, just want to end with a real quick thing. So... Uh, you know, one of the things I found is that I've been trying to not use my cell phone as much. I don't like those hooks. I don't like what it's doing to me, how it's conditioning me to do what I desire whenever my phone is like, hey, Pastor Steve, jump. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> you know, go on your phone. Okay, you know, right? I don't like that. I'm not free, right? So what I've started to practice is in those moments when I uh, feel that urge to go on my phone is instead... I'll like look at a tree. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, you know, for many of us, you have been conditioned.
to go on your phone when you feel uncomfortable. I'm just going to hold it like this. Is that okay? <laughs> You've been conditioned to go on your phone when you feel awkward, when you feel lonely, right? When, when you feel bored. What would it look like if, like even 50% of the time, instead of going on your phone, you prayed? <sighs> what? What? I know it's crazy. I'm talking crazy talk. I'm not saying every time, 50% of the time. What if the next time you caught yourself going for your phone, you're like, I'm actually not going to go for my phone. I'm going to be still here with God. I go to pick up my kids, and I get there early, and I'm waiting for my kids to come out. And I have this urgent desire to go on my phone. Why? Because it's awkward. There's all these parents around. I don't know them. Some of them are talking to other people, and they're like the good PTA parent. I'm the bad PTA parent. I don't go to anything, right? But they're all talking to each other. Hey, you going to help out with the Halloween party? Yeah, I'm going to help out with the Halloween party. I'm not, I'm not helping out with the Halloween party. Where's my phone? Where's my phone? Right? But what if, and this is what I do now, instead of reaching before my phone, I just take a moment. I'm like, okay, don't go for your phone. Let's just be still. I just look at the trees. I know this is weird. I know. I, it's, have you seen that meme where someone was like, dude, I went to a Starbucks today, and there's this dude who he wasn't on his phone. He was just drinking his coffee like a psycho. Wasn't talking to anyone. It's weird. It's weird. We're not used to it. Right? But what if, what if, it, you just take that moment, and, and I'm just breathing in the fresh air. I'm looking at the leaves that are changing color, and I'm just... God, I don't need to go on my phone right now. I want you to be enough. And the more we learn that way of being, to be disconnected from this all-consuming desire, this desire that says you must do it, but you become disciplined. You start becoming a different kind of human where you don't have these hooks in you. I've been doing this like maybe three weeks, brothers and sisters. Like really just making an effort to not be on my phone. I got to tell you, I feel so much freer. The next time I feel the desire to go on my phone, it's a little bit less. It's a little less oppressive, right? And I can go longer. And to be honest, I just feel like I can actually choose the things that God wants for me. Praise team, can you guys come up? The idea of the denial of yourself. I know this is not a very fun modern concept. This idea of saying no to your desire, you know, and brothers and sisters, it's for a reason. There actually used to be very common ascetic practices that Christians would do, like fasting, right? And so like, like people wouldn't eat. Now, for us in this modern age, we're like, but we, we have food. I'm hungry. Why not eat? And there were Christians throughout the centuries that would be like, because I don't want to always be beholden to my desire. Right? So I'm going to learn. It's not going to kill me to not eat for 24 hours or not eat for 12 hours. They actually find it's really good for your body because we're just being flooded with all this sugar and all these carbs all the time, right? And your, your, your body is just in this heightened sense of like it's always doing stuff. When really, like, like it's kind of good for your body to just rest a little bit. Just give it some time to chill. You know, And so you're not going to die. You're actually going to be a lot more healthy than you were before if you learn to do this regularly, right? But brothers and sisters, maybe a food fast sounds crazy. What if you went on a cell phone fast? What if you went on a social media fast for six hours? 
I will. Pastor Steve, what am I going to do with myself? Maybe you go talk to and connect to another human being. I know it sounds crazy. Maybe you pray. Maybe you read. Maybe you take a walk. Maybe you learn that you actually are created in Christ to be a free individual who can choose the will of God. He's not always compelled to do what social media, what technology tells you you should do in that moment, what your desires are telling you you should do. Brothers and sisters, could you pray with me? As we let this message sink in, I just want to ask you, do you want to be the kind of person that can do the will of God? This is the thing. Doing the will of God, you're not always going to feel like doing it. That's why you have to unhook from your feelings. you got to unhook from your desires. Because sometimes the good thing is not always desirable. God, we just come before you and we want to be this new kind of human. The way that Jesus was. People looked at Jesus crazy because they're like, I can't believe this guy's doing this. Who would willingly take up a cross and die for other people? That makes no sense. And yes, it makes no sense to this world. But to the Christ follower, it should be what we aspire to. God, give us, Lord, a new kind of heart, a new kind of spirit, Lord, that can choose the good, that can choose to love, that can say no to some of these uh, uh, very attractive desires, God, so that we can do what you have set out for us to do in this world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.